God, thank you so much for today. Uh, God, thank you for who you are. Uh, God, you are holy. There is no one like you. Um, God, there is no one worthy of our worship. There is no one worthy of our praise. It all belongs to you. Um, God, we just thank you for this opportunity to come and uh, learn from your word together. Um, God, I just thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us in Scripture. Um, Lord, you reveal all your promises to us. You reveal your character to us. We see your great love for us. And so, God, as we just study your word and what you actually say about your own word tonight, um, Lord, would it transform our hearts? Would it change the way that we... uh, We think, Lord, if there's any false thinking that we have, any false ways in us, Lord, we bring that before you and ask that your scripture would just transform us. Um, Lord, we know that you promise in your word that it will, and so we trust and submit to that. Thank you for bringing uh, each one of these students here and these leaders, Lord. God, I just pray that we would press in, soften our hearts, Open our ears to hear what it is you have for us. Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me. Um, Anything that is not of you, uh, would you just wipe it from my talk, from my memory? Uh, Lord, and just pray that your spirit would be speaking, that I would be listening for um, what it is you have for us tonight. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I um, am excited to do this uh, section of Psalm, and I'm always excited to get to teach God's Word, um, but I am excited to do uh, these next two stanzas. Um, I have wanted to teach these for a long time. Um, I have a, I had a professor in school who, uh, every time you took a class with him, he would give you a significant amount of scripture to memorize that went along with some something we would be studying that semester in the class. And so that particular semester, um, that class, we were studying um, like the doctrine of Scripture. And so going into studying what God's Word says about itself, he had us memorize these two stanzas, uh, Psalm 119, 89 through 104. Um, so I would just start off with that, like memorize these stanzas. It is beneficial. Any Scripture you memorize is never going to return void. Uh, Memorizing scripture is one of the greatest things that um, I think we can do um, for ourselves, um, for our walk with the Lord. Um, But these, uh, as I I got to study these these words by by memorizing them, um, it it made me just really, it ignited a passion about scripture. And so I've been excited when Zach just came to me and was like, hey, can you take this section of our Psalm 119 study? I was like, yeah, I've actually like wanted to teach that for a long time. So here I am, and hopefully you're going to be like, wow, you had all these years to prepare for, and this is what you came up with? Just kidding. Um, so with that, is there anybody who would just mind reading through it all the way for us, just standing up and reading through it? I can do that. Thanks, Maddie. So it's, uh, 89 through 104. Sure.
leader for all generations, who has established the earth and its form of government. By your appointment it is standing this day, for all things are your purpose. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, saith the Lord. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked, they devise ways to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, who have kept me by my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hold every fault for you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Maddie. So where we're at in our study of Psalm 119, um, the psalmist has made claims about kind of how Zach opened up uh, the series. He's, the psalmist has made claims about our dependence on God to find any value in his word um, that God has to reveal to us. This is God's word. He reveals it to us. And so we're seeing this about like, okay, so there's, this is what God does in order for us to be able to receive and to, um, to understand his word. Uh, and then we have been introduced to, he gave us uh, understanding for blessing, seeing blessing in there and how that's connected to, to flourishing or right, right relationship with God. Um, and then talked about how we would see the, um, the themes of suffering or affliction. And so the last week in those three stanzas that we looked at as, as Zach took us through, um, just what it looks like to study your Bible by doing observation, interpretation, and application, um, we really did see the affliction come through and how much the psalmist was uh, revealing what kind of affliction they were in um, and how, what God's, God's words, what his role was in that affliction. So for these next two stanzas, we're going to look at specific attributes of scripture and how that affects or transforms the reader. And we see that from the psalmist's experience and what um, they chose to reveal. So in the first part, just starting in, uh, in 89 through 91. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day. For all things are your servants. And so if you guys just even take the skills of like what we were talking about last week. When you see words in these three verses, we see things like forever, firmly fixed, endures in 90, at the end of 90, stands fast. 91, stands this day. There's this language that's used for this lasting, unshakable, foundational, and ultimately eternal, um, these these attributes. When we talk about the attributes of God, we can talk about the attributes of scripture. And so what we're seeing right here is these words used attributed to scripture. This is what scripture is like. Um, we see forever, that eternal word, this ultimate eter eternality, really. Um, forever your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. There's this confidence of God's word stands the test of time. And so it 
it can even reflect when Jesus says in Matthew 24 that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He takes it a step further, that God's word is going to last. And he makes this connection in verse 90 to God's character. So we see forever your word is firmly fixed, but then in 90 it moves down to your faithfulness. We're not talking about God's word so much as we're talking about your character. Your character, God, your faithfulness, it endures to all generations. So God's character and God's word, they go hand in hand. It stands fast to this day. And where the psalmist really sees that is in creation. This is where it's greatest revealed is in creation. And how is creation brought about? By God's word. God spoke creation into being, and he's comparing it to, I can trust and see that you are reliable. Your faithfulness, your character tells me that your word is reliable. Because I have seen your character, I can trust that your word is reliable as well, that it is true. And he knows this by, not only is God the creator of all things, but God is sovereign over it. Verse uh, 91 By your appointment, they stand to this day. He is the sustainer of creation. And then the second part of 91, for all things are your servants. He is sovereign over all things. And so when you look at God's character, that's what the psalmist is doing. He's saying your character and your word, they go hand in hand. It's not like us. God is not like man that he should lie or anything. So we, our words don't always match up with our character, but that's not how God is. He says all of my word is true to who all of who I am. And so from that, the psalmist, he's experience, his experience with Scripture. So he's got this established thing. Okay, all of God's Scripture. The psalmist can conclude that God's character is reliable, that his word is true and reliable as well. And so then the psalmist goes into his own experience in 92 through 95. And it's an interesting thing here. When you're, I just kind of want to continue on from what we were doing last week. When you're studying through scripture, helpful observations to make is when a tense changes, when it's in the past tense, future tense, present tense. And so the psalmist does something so interesting right here, where in 92, he goes a past tense where he's reflecting back. 93, he is looking towards the future. And then 94 and 95, he comes back to his present reality. So it's cool to think about what he's doing with that. 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And so God's word keeps us thinking clearly in affliction. Who is God? What does he say about this? What does he say about this affliction that I am in? And so he's saying, if your law had not been my delight, like if I did not trust in your word, if I didn't trust and know the character of your word, that you are who you say you are, that your promises are true, that There's nothing like your word. I would have perished in my affliction. There's this way where affliction brings about, anytime we're in distress, anytime we're in affliction or we're suffering, it brings about this clarity of, or this lack of clarity in our thinking. When you can think about your situation, something that has been hard that you're going through, the psalmist is saying, if your law had not been my delight, if I didn't know the attributes of your scripture, that it's true that there's nothing like it that is firmly fixed, that it endures just as your character does. He's saying, I would have perished. I would have perished in my affliction. 93, I will never, so you saw that was in the past. This is a past experience he had in 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished. 
and he's looking to the future in 93. He says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And so he's looking at God's word and he's saying, we can taste life. We can taste blessing and abundance now through God's word. And so from his experience in the past, that, that projects to the future this is how I would, have, I would have perished in my affliction. I am now looking to the future. This is what I will do. I will never forget your precepts because I've experienced life by them. If you look back into what we were studying last week, um, what verse is it? Oh, he ends. In your steadfast love, give me life. He's requesting give me life from Yahweh. And what, he sees, what we see right here is, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. So this request that he has for God to give him life, he's saying, I know that I've received it. It's from your word. It's from your law. So he's looking to the future, knowing I will continue to walk in this way so that I can experience life and blessing. And so then in 94, brings it back to the present. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. And so this present, he's making this present statement, this present identity statement of whose he is and who his Savior is, um, which he's actually in a very real need of saving right now. And we can see that from verse 95, identifies that, and it says, The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. So he's got this very real threat, but because he knows who he is, because Scripture has told him his true identity and because he believes that scripture is true, that God is his savior, God is his redeemer, he can call out and say, save me. I am yours. Save me from this very present affliction that I have. And it's not a threat. His present affliction is not a threat in light of what this says. He's not experienced. He can face it and he can have delight in God's word, in the midst of affliction. We were talking about that at my table last week about when we're in affliction, we're looking for the delight to come just by being out of affliction, but that you can actually find delight in the midst of the affliction because you trust what God says about that affliction, because you trust that he is the creator of the world, because you trust that his promises are going to endure, that they are firmly fixed in the heaven, that even when heaven and earth pass away, his word will remain. And so it brings context to this affliction. It brings how to have life and how to have it abundantly, even though affliction is going to come until, until you're in glory. And so 96 wraps up this, this section in Lamed, this, this stanza that we're in, by the ultimate attribute of Scripture the psalmist is acknowledging here is its infinite perfection. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. There's this infinite perfection. So when we think about the, long, the longevity, like God's word is eternal. It is ultimately perfect. And so how one writer says this, I couldn't say any better, so I just wanted to read this to you, is there is nothing more right, more true, more applicable, more all-encompassing than God's commandments. I'm going to say that again. There is nothing more right, more true, more applicable, more encompassing than God's commandments. And so as we move on to Mem, the next stanza, 
If Lamed is about the attributes of scripture, then Mem shows the effects that it has on its reader or the transformation that should take place in the reader. So this opening verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So when Zach opened up the series, um, and he was talking about why we were going to be going through this series, um, he mentioned a quote from a Bible teacher that um, Sydney and I really like, Jen Wilkin, I'm sure others of you in here, CJ, CJ gave me that look, um, to know God is to love him. And so what he was saying about that is that as you get to know God, as you come to know his character, you can't have any other reaction but to love him. Um, And so I think the same is true with God's word. And that's what I'm seeing in verse 97 here is to know God's word is to love God's word. And when I think about that, like, do we love God's word? Do we love his instruction? Do we love his discipline? Do we love his commandments? Because I think we can, we can think about things that we love or maybe things that we know are good for us, but we don't necessarily have a love for them. Like the only example I can think of, and it's so stupid, is I take this vitamin and it is like this big and it, it apparently has all these great things in it for me. And it tastes like trash, like literal trash. And it's so big that it gets caught in the back of my throat. So then it sits in there like I'm chugging water, but then that flavor comes out. And it's gross. I don't love it, but I know it's good for me. And so I have this appreciation for it. And I think that we can come to God's word like that sometimes. Where it's, I know it's good for me, but we don't actually love it. So what we're going to see is how the psalmist breaks it down. I, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How does the psalmist come to cultivate this love for God's law? And so verses 98 through uh, 100. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. Those are some mighty claims right there. <laughs> those, those first parts of each, wiser than my enemies, more understanding than all my teachers, and, more, or, and I understand more than the age. And so what these three verses are, this section is, it's giving us this idea of meditation. It's kind of explaining out meditation for us. Um, and what we are seeing in these three verses specifically is that there's a superior understanding that comes from God's word. Because it's God's word. Because it's authoritative. Because it is the revelation from the almighty creator God. There's more understanding that can come. Um, Kyle's lesson was, or his sermon was incredible today. So if you were not at church today, I would highly encourage uh, that when it goes online to go watch it. It was um, just how God's word is. It's so incredible and it all fits together. And it was very helpful and informative for me as I was thinking through tonight. Um, But he made the comment today that uh, as he was explaining some of the things in Leviticus, some of the laws of where we're at in Bible in a year right now, how we can look at these and be like, okay, that was so dumb, why would you think that? And how we think we have um, 
a more superior thought process because of science and things that we know now and being, you know, 2,000 years or however many thousand years from when Leviticus was on this side of things. Um, But that when we're reading stuff like this, it's like, okay, actually, there's a superior understanding that comes from God's word, from understanding God's word because of the way that God has designed it, because of the way that he has revealed himself to us, and because of the way he desires for transformation to take place in our lives. So we have this idea of enemies, teachers, the aged, I was about to say, not bad things. Enemies, yes. Teachers in the age, not bad things. People we generally have respect for. But I think the idea he is getting at here is these are people, enemies, teachers, or the age, your elders, who would genuinely, like you would have a a highly sense of maybe fear or reverence for these people. Fear of your enemies or reverence for like these teachers, these people who are educated um, or or elders, they have wisdom, they've lived a lot of life. But what, what we're hearing about God's word from these verses is that they are no match for the instruction that comes from God's word. There's nothing, I know you guys being in school, right? some of you guys are in school right now. Um, I, I mean, whether it happened at GCU, it can happen anywhere. It can happen at any college campus where um, if you're a person of faith, you can have teachers who challenge that and say, that's not, that's not smart. That's not a smart way of thinking. That's not a logical way of thinking. And we can have a confidence before that, not a cockiness, a confidence before that of actually I can have more understanding because that's the power of God's word. That's the power of God's word in my life. Not to lord it over and not to go and kick out the stool underneath my teacher, but that I can have a confidence and I don't have to, it's no threat to me, maybe what this teacher is saying. Maybe what this person who has wisdom, they're older, so that's just kind of looked at as, oh, they're the superior person. It's saying that's, that's not what it's like when it comes to God's word. That there's a, there's a superior understanding that can come from it. And so moving on, verses 101 through 102. It says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. So when we're thinking about, okay, these last three verses they talk about and they show that we have this superior understanding. Where does that come from? The next few verses answer that question of the superior understanding is marked by obedience. So in order to understand something, we could know something, but to actually have true understanding of it, we're seeing in God's word to have true understanding, to have the superior understanding that God's word brings, this confidence that we can have with God's word. It comes from obedience. And I know a lot of times that when we talk about obedience, Everyone starts getting maybe a little bit nervous when you want to talk about obedience. People start saying, okay, like, this is where, are we talking about works or anything? No, because what we have already established is that God's word is true. And so what we're talking about when I'm coming to obedience to God's word is not about, this is how you get right before the Lord. This is how you get God to like you. He already likes you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you while you are still sinners. While you were at your worst, while you were back to God, he sent Jesus to take your place. And Jesus conquered sin and death. 
and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is making intercession for you. That is what he is doing right now on this day, February 6th, for each of you. He is making intercession for you. So we have to know and we have to come with that understanding when we start talking about obedience. We're talking about the difference between not justification, that's what I just explained, but this sanctification process where God wants to walk with us. He wants to partner with us. He wants us to live a life that is flourishing, that is a life of obedience. He's saying, hey, I created life. I've designed it. I know how it works and how it doesn't work. I know how you can flourish and how you cannot flourish. And so when we look at obedience, we see in verse 101 and 102, I hold back my feet. That is an active thing that the psalmist is doing. I hold back my feet. 102, I do not turn aside. Simply put, resist evil and keep God's commands. It's one thing to know what God's word says, but superior understanding does not come until we have put it into practice and that we've seen it for ourselves. The actual delight that comes from obedience to God's word. I can know that God's word tells me to forgive those who persecute me. I can know that and I can tell all these people about it. Hey, yeah, we're supposed to forgive. But I do not have understanding of God's word and about life flourishing until somebody's actually hurt me. Somebody's actually put pain in my life. And I choose by the, by the power of the Spirit, only by the power of the Spirit, to obey and to say, yes, I'm going to forgive that person, even though that is not my desire. That's not what the easiest thing is to do. Another example I can think of is we can talk about, the Bible says to take every thought captive. Okay, I can go and tell people, hey, what's obedient to God is to take every thought captive. But do I actually take the time in my day to think about, hey, do I, am I mindful of my thoughts? And what does it actually mean to take it captive? Do I have understanding of what that means? When I take a thought captive, what do I do with it? Thinking through, okay, here's what the commandment is. How am I actually applying that to my life? Or another one I can think of is like Matthew 18. God's word says in Matthew 18 that if you have conflict with somebody, to go to that person, not to go and talk about it to everyone else and get everyone's opinions and maybe even just talk because you're frustrated in light of venting, but God's word actually says go and talk to that person. That is, that's where flourishing is, flourishment is in my kingdom. That's how I have designed it to work for you to actually have that conversation. And so our superior understanding, our love for God's word does not really resonate until we've had those moments of conflict. And instead of choosing our flesh and to to do what we want of like, oh, I just want to go and I want to tell Chris about this conflict that I'm having with Maddie. I walk in the spirit and I choose obedience to God's word. I trust what God's word, I trust who God's character is and that he does care about my flourishing. And I go and I talk to Maddie and I see the beauty in that. I see the flourishing in that. I see us both being transformed like Christ into Christ's image more when I am obedient to God's word. And that's where the psalmist then reflects with verse 103. He says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now that is such a pretty verse. 
I love honey. So anytime the, the Bible talks about honey, I'm like, oh yeah, that's my life. I eat, like I literally like how people will eat like peanut butter out of the jar with a spoon. I do that with honey. Like I eat so much. I think I just made Sam gag. <laughs> Sam's like, that's disgusting. I love it. I think honey is so good. Um, but when we come here, we can see like, oh, this is really poetic and this is beautiful. Um, what a way to top off this psalm. But there's actually a very profound claim being made here. Um, in light of talking about obedience, what in Proverbs drips from the lips of the forbidden woman? Honey. I'll read it for you. Proverbs 5.3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. So in light of when we're talking about obedience holding back our feet, resisting evil, turning aside, not turning aside, excuse me, from God's commands. And then we get this verse of how sweet are your words to my taste. They are sweeter than honey to my mouth. In light of obedience, this verse coming in right here, if we're thinking in this psalmist, who seems pretty wise, seems to know the Proverbs, would be saying, actually, obedience to God is going to be sweeter than the temptation, than the allure of this sin, of the forbidden woman whose lips drip with honey. You know what is sweeter than that? Obedience. Living the life that God has designed. Living the way that God has designed for your flourishing. But, as we read in a psalm this week, if you're doing Bible in a year and you read Psalm 34, we have to taste and see that for ourselves. We have to taste and see that God's word and how he calls us to live is sweeter than the temptation that drips from the lips of the forbidden woman. We have to get into God's word. We have to trust it. And that's what we're going to do at our tables is we're going to actually spend time really thinking about what that means um, for getting into our word, for meditating on God's word. But before we do that, I'll wrap us up with uh, verse 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So the psalmist is reiterating this understanding that comes through obedience to God's word. But not only does it cultivate a love for God's word, not only as we step into to actually experiencing the promises of God's word, does it cultivate this love for his word, like we see in 97, oh, how I love your law, cultivates this love for his word, not just knowing it's good for us, but actually loving it and desiring it. What we get at the end of verse 104 is, therefore I hate every false way. A love for God's word, this understanding of his word also shapes us, not just to love his word and be apathetic or not really want to touch all the false ways, but actually have a hate for the things that we once loved. The things that do not please the Lord. It transforms us. It actually cultivates a hate for the things that are displeasing to God. Not just being apathetic and I just want to love and love, 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 which is good, but if verse 97 is to be true, verse 104 has to be true. I love your law and I hate every false way that goes against your law. So if we walk away with anything tonight, if you're just kind of tuned out, tune in for this. The one thing I want you guys to listen to is when I read these two stanzas, 
what the Lord has made clear to me, what I see his word say to be true, is that meditation on God's word, true meditation on God's word, should lead to transformation in our hearts and the outworking of our lives. Meditation on God's word should lead to transformation in our hearts and the outworking of our lives. I'll share a quick story with you. Um, I was talking with uh, one of the girls we have in elementary school. Um, She's young elementary. She had made a decision to follow Jesus. She's a follower of Jesus. Um, This sweet girl has experienced a lot of hardship, like a lot, she's just at a young age seen a lot of death, like her papa died, she had an uncle die, just in the last couple of years, hard things for a young, a young girl to um, experience, and she was wrestling with, I know God could have healed him, I don't know why God wouldn't have healed, healed my, my grandpa, and so um, we were talking, and what I was like, we, I don't even know how to come into this conversation, but the Spirit provides. The Spirit leads. Um, and I was just telling her, hey, sweet girl, <laughs> uh, we know in God's Scripture what else does it say about him. And we got to the point where we were talking about God's character, attributes, things that we know from God's Word to be true. And we got to the, that God is a comforter. That's one of the ways that God reveals himself to us is that he is a comforter. But we actually don't know God to be a comforter until we go through something where we need comforting. I don't, I don't know God to, to be um, a redeemer or till I see myself needing saving. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So I, I was letting this little girl know like, hey, we can know all of these things. And that's the same is true for us. We can know all these things about God. We can know all these things that God's word says. But until we've experienced them, until we've put them into practice in our life, walking in obedience and saying, I'm going to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to try God's way of how he says to do things. When conflict comes up in our life, I'm going to see what it actually looks like when I have conflict with Maddie to go straight and talk with Maddie rather than the dripping honey to come over here and be like, I just want to vent to Chris about it. It's not until we're actually put in the situations that God knows are going to come, that he has prepared us for, that he has tried to equip us for, that we actually have this superior understanding until we've walked in obedience and we see, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day 